This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. If you're a loser, tune in and you'll be a winner. It's the Moranalytics Podcast. Talking Buffalo sports, Yankees, WWE, 80s music, and pop culture. And now, here's your host, Patrick Moran. All right, what is going on, podcast fans? How you doing? Hope all is well. Welcome to episode number 96 of the Moranalytics podcast. Today is Friday, February 22nd, 2019. Thank you very much, as always, for tuning in, downloading. If you haven't subscribed already, please go ahead and do that. Rate and review, it always helps us tremendously. Coming up on today's show, I'll be joined by NFL insider Adam Kaplan. This is Adam's second time on the podcast. I guess that officially makes him a recurring guest of the show. We're obviously talking about the NFL. Adam's got thoughts on Joe Flacco going to Denver. Tells us where he hears that Nick Foles is going. Drops two teams that he's hearing will be major players for Le'Veon Bell. Names a few good fits for Antonio Brown. Assuming the Steelers trade him, which certainly looks likely at this point. Hits on a handful of quarterbacks who can end up on new teams come 2019. And we're also, of course, discussing at length the Buffalo Bills. Adam tells us if LaShawn McCoy was really close to being traded to Philadelphia last season. Shares what he's hearing about Spencer Long with his role with the team now that he signed after the Jets cut him. Has insight on Josh Allen. Plenty more. It's a good interview with one of the most respected NFL insiders in the business. Right after that, I got my buddy Joe on for another installment of the Running with Joe. We're both pretty much unloading on everything Buffalo Sabres. Pissed off. I'll tell you right now, I was in a really pissed off mood when we taped our segment. Because it's just mind-blowing to me to see a promising season just crumble right before our eyes. Literally go right into the shitter and basically have the organization do nothing about it except watch it happen. That's all they've done is watch it happen. Making no moves to stop it. And now it's probably too late. So anyway, we dropped the hammer on both Phil Housley and Jason Botterill. I start to wonder if that locker room has a bunch of coach killers. Because let's face it. Dan Bleisman got run out of town by his players. Bill Housley, it might not happen yet. In fact, Jason Botterill said it's not going to happen this year. But it looks like he's getting on his way to getting run out of town by his players. Is that locker room filled with coach killers right now? We talk about that. We examine the Ryan O'Reilly trade, which is looking dumber by the day, by the way. We, We try to figure out where they go from here. And like I said, just generally... 
pissed off about everything this season. I know a lot of fans listening are, and I know a lot of fans who've been watching the team this year. They're really pissed off. Can you blame them? No. We also hit on a little WWE talk, including trying to figure out what Vince McMahon is thinking by bringing all these NXT guys in. During a time that they should be building more towards WrestleMania matches and main event angles. Not doing that at all. It's just a bunch of confusing WWE programming coming on right now. We hit on that. I'll get to both those interviews in just a couple minutes. Before that, real quick, I've been talking about on this podcast for weeks, if not months now, about my obsession with The Office and that I binge watch it for like the, I don't know, ninth time. But what was different is this time I took down notes. I created a spreadsheet and I power ranked every single episode of The Office from 185 down to number one, the best of all the episodes. And what I started doing on Monday on Twitter, which by the way, if you don't follow me on Twitter, you could do that at Pamoran Tweets, is I started releasing a batch of power rankings. I started at the bottom, 185 to like uh, 151, and then go 30 down each day. You're hearing this on Friday. It was a six-part series. So part five is coming out today, which is, what's that? That's uh, 60 to 31. So you could get that today. And then next Monday, I'm going to have the final installment, part six, and it's going to rank the top 30 episodes of The Office ever. So make sure, again, you follow me on Twitter, at Pat Moran Tweets, or you could go right to our blog, which is moranalytics.com. You could get those power rankings. They got a bunch of photos, GIFs, capsules, thoughts on each episode, etc. A lot of fun, especially, if, obviously, if you're a fan of The Office. And the one other thing I do want to say is when that's over, I've been hinting at this for a while too. I'm going to have a semi-recurring segment on this podcast, not every week, but occasionally where I talk about The Office and it's going to be called The Finer Things Club. And I'm going to have a rotating panel of sports media guests, athletes, fans of The Office who come on and talk about the show with me. It'll be a different thing each time. Sometimes we might talk about a specific season or an episode or a character or even a moment. So it'll vary. It'll be a lot of fun. I got Nate Gary from WGR. He's going to be on. Ryan Talbot from New York Upstate. He'll be on. Maniac from Trainwreck Sports. Um, Dan Fates from a Rochester Sports Reporter. He's going to be on. Reed Ferguson, Buffalo Bills long snapper. Did not know what a big fan of the office he is. I've been talking to him all week. He's excited to do it. In fact, he's going to be one of the first people I have on. And again, it's going to be called Finer Things Club. So that's coming soon. But that's a little bit down the road. Let's get into today's show. Got a packed episode, two big interviews. Let's get it started with Adam Kaplan. Okay, my guest today is a very popular NFL insider and without question, one of my favorite guys in the national sports media. I'm joined by Adam Kaplan. What's going on, Adam? How you doing? Patrick, good to be back again. Looking forward to it. I, I, uh, I like how we had a real good talk uh, several months ago during the 18th season, and I am looking forward to a very fun and exciting offseason. I think this one's going to have some unpredictable situations that come about. Yeah, I, like you mentioned it, I had you on the podcast all the way back on episode 21 last May. Great show because instead of just talking football, which is, of course, that's always fun, but in addition, it gave fans a chance to know a little bit more about you personally, like where you grew up and went to school, your career path, all kinds of fun stuff like that. I'm going to put a link up in the show notes for fans who may not have caught it the first time around. Fun show, and by the way, it was the start of a really good run of guests that I had on this podcast because I had you, 
Mike Picaro of the New York Post, and then Adam Schefter from ESPN on consecutively. Nice run for me. Fun ties for sure. No, I appreciate it. Yeah, so the, your, your podcast series are great, man. It's, um, it, you know what I like is when I get interviewed, sometimes it's only like 10 minutes. You really can't get into very much, but I like that we have the forum to t- touch on a variety of subjects. Thanks a lot, Adam. Appreciate that. And you know what? Let's do that. In fact, let me start here. I want to get your thoughts on the trade that saw Joe Flacco get dealt from Baltimore to Denver in exchange for a fourth round pick. Now, I could very well be underselling Joe Flacco, but let me ask you this. At this point of his career, is he really that much of an upgrade over what Denver already had last year in Case Keenum? So I think when you look at Flacco's career, his high, obviously, in his career was the Super Bowl run, one of the best Super Bowl runs we've seen. The playoffs, the Denver game, ironically, that's the team he's being traded to. It'll be officially done on uh, March 13th. But ever since that Super Bowl run, he's not been the same quarterback. Some of it is because of injury. He had the ACL injury. Then he had, I'm told, what is a partially torn hip labrum, uh, which is, which is, if it hasn't healed, it's going to heal very soon. And that's not a concern. Uh, although he does have to pass the physical to make the trade official. Um, but Joe's 34 years old. He's certainly seen his better days. Uh, you would, you, some people would argue that they didn't really help him over the years at the receiver position. They certainly had a good group of tight ends, but they never really helped him significantly at the receiver position. Uh, so, yeah, the hope is that he could revive his career in a new offense with a new team, new players, new schemes, and everything. We'll see. Uh, but from a talent standpoint, look, I mean, Case Keenum was – a great story for the Vikings two years ago. Great coaching by Pat Shermer, Kevin Stefanski, and, and Case had a really, really good season, but he, he did not perform at a high enough level this past season. I don't think anyone would argue that for whatever reason. He just didn't play very well, and they won an upgrade in Flacco. Flacco will be the starter. Uh, Case Keenan will be cut if they can't trade him or not, or not if he's not willing to take a pay cut. If they can't trade him, he'll be released. Uh, they do owe him. They're going to owe Keenum uh, $7 million, uh whether he's on the team or not, um, it, it, I'm told it does have offset language. Uh, but the fact of the matter is he got a phenomenal contract. He just didn't play well, and uh, he'll be a great backup for somebody else. But uh, whether he's going to start for another team remains to be seen. Now, with Flacco already gone from Baltimore, do you think we're going to start to see a game of quarterback musical chairs this offseason with guys like Nick Foles or Ryan Tannehill, Tyrod Taylor, Blake Bortles, at a minimum? Guys like them are going to be switching teams too? Oh, for sure, yeah. So Nick Foles almost certainly will end up at Jacksonville, according to league sources. Um, I'm sure there, there's a chance that some other team jumps in. He's certainly not going to. Nick Foles will not be an Eagle uh, in the 19th season. It's just a matter of uh, when, not if. Uh, he, he's either going to be traded or he's going to walk as a free agent. Uh, so, yeah, I mean, Tyrod Taylor is a pretty good backup quarterback. Uh, you know, the, the, the league, the biggest problem, and, and the, the Bills certainly know about this for Bills fans listening. It is so hard to develop a backup quarterback. Matt Barkley was a nice story. A very limited playing time. He did a really good job. Good for him to revive his career. Uh, didn't really work out with Derek Anderson. It's just, you're just learning. These, these teams have a hard time developing a backup quarterback. Ryan Tannehill most likely will move on, but the, the Dolphins have said publicly they've not made a decision yet, but my sense is he's going to be gone. Uh, he, if, he, if he is traded or released, there will be teams interested. This is, by the way, this is not a year that a lot of teams need a starting quarterback. What they really need uh, is a developmental quarterback, a 
a guy that might start in 2020 or 2021, not so much this season, but the league overall, though, as we get into the quarterback position, it's the one position that they just have trouble developing from certainly a backup level. Do you think that there may be a quarterback out there who maybe right now fans feel his 2019 job secure, but perhaps soon it won't be, maybe because of the draft? I see like Derek Carr with the Raiders picking at four, or maybe Jameis Winston with Tampa picking at five. Possible QB shocker picks. You know what I mean? Like, we know that there's going to be a couple quarterbacks who go pretty high. It always works out that way. But do you think there might be a team out there who might take a quarterback that right now in February fans are like, no, they're not going to take a quarterback. But that does well, end up Well, I'll tell you what. Yeah, I'll tell you what. In 2017, the, the, there was a team that was picking the 20s who had Patrick Mahomes been there, they would have taken him. And this team already had a starting quarterback. So, yeah, it's a very interesting point that you just made. Now, Derek Carr, I'm told by a league source, He's not available as of right now. As we get closer to the draft, who knows? John, John Gruden never said he was not available last season, despite all the speculation. And always remember with Cleo Mack, the Raiders are telling teams, because I've talked to these, a lot of teams that, that called the Raiders initially in July, they said he was not available. When the holdout crept on, they started taking calls, and they started engaged dialogue. And as the weeks would go by, then it became increasingly obvious they were going to trade him, and they did. So with John Gruden, you never say never. And uh, it, it, it may surprise some people, but it would not shock me. In fact, it wouldn't even surprise me if they wound up trading him. I'm not saying they're going to Most likely they'll keep him. But this is a guy that John Gruden did not draft. I do believe him when he says he wants to develop him. And it would be a failure if he didn't. But again, he did not draft the player. Now, you mentioned Nick Foles. You know his game better than most. Do you think he's a system quarterback under Peterson, or is this a guy that you think could go to Jacksonville or Miami or wherever and still be able to light it up kind of like he did with Philly? You know, it's a great point. It's funny, Patrick, when you talk to people in the league, that has been the number one question with Nick Foles. Who is Nick Foles as a quarterback? 2013 set the world on fire his second year uh, as an Eagles quarterback. Drafted in the third round in 12 uh, when the Eagles were going to draft Russell Wilson. Uh, Wilson went off the board. Andy Reid, who had personnel control, told everyone in the room. I talked to two people in the room, and both of these people were surprised that uh, Reid made a decision to go with Nick Foles. That was really not what the people in the room that I spoke with thought they were going to do. Uh, it turned out to be the right decision. Uh, but after the 13th season, Patrick, he was never the same, so much so that after his, his r- struggles in, with the Rams, he was going to retire. Andy Reid talked him out of it. Uh, he was with Andy in 16, Eagles in 17, and then all of a sudden he went on one of these magical runs. We mentioned Joe Flacco earlier. I, I mean, I, I, to this day, I don't – I've followed Nick's career ever since the senior ball, and he's a great guy, and what a great story uh, to turn his career around. But I think that, I think the league is probably more – I'd say this. If you pull 32 teams, there are probably less than half of them think he's a quality starting quarterback. Probably only a handful would sign him to be a starter. It's just that teams have been very mixed on him. That's just the way it is. He's 30 years old. That's not all by quarterback standards, by the way. Uh, he's tough as nails. He's smart. Uh, he's athletic enough, and he's an incredible leader. If he goes to Jacksonville like I think he's going to, I think he'll do a quality job. Uh, the the OC had him, DeFilippo, for one year when uh, DeFilippo was a quarterback's coach for the Eagles, so he knows him. But I don't. Th- I'm not saying that's not part of why they like him. I'm sure it is. But my understanding, according to multiple league sources, uh, Foles was on their list when they when their personnel staff met. Whenever they, they started talking about quarterbacks, multiple sources told me that 
Foles was high on their thinking, and uh, that's one spot where I think Nick is going to be high on a team's list. Is he going to be high on a lot of teams' lists? No. There, there's going to be more interest in Foles with other teams, but he's probably not going to find the interest that the Jaguars are, are, are having him anywhere else, and I think that's why more likely not to wind up a Jaguar. Do you believe that there's any truth at all to rumors out there flowing around? I know it was denied by Clingsbury that the Arizona Cardinals may already be willing to deal Josh Rosen after just one season and using a, you know, they used a high first round pick out of quarterback just a year ago. You think there's any truth to those rumors at all? Here's what I would say. Well, they, of course they came out and said that, that, that Josh Rosen's their guy. Right. I get it. Kingsbury. And, and when you look at Kyle, when you look at Murray's skill set, Kyle Murray is a really a quarterback for a spread system. Like they're going to run under Kingsbury. But Josh Rosen is a really highly skilled quarterback. Yes, he did not play well as a rookie. Coaching could have been better. Scheme could have been better. The OC was fired. Mike McCoy during the season. That's never a good sign. He needs to have the same coordinator, the same coaches for multiple years, which he's going to have with Kingsbury. And Tom Clements, don't, don't underestimate that addition as the OC, and he's going to manage the quarterbacks. That's a good addition. Tom did great work with Aaron Rodgers and yeah, I, I, I don't think there's any truth to it, other than we know that Kingsbury went on the record saying that Murray should be the first overall pick and that he would take him if, 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 you know, if he was coaching him. But that was completely different circumstances. Kingsbury was not on the radar for, to be an NFL coach when he said that. So I get it. it it's social media. We're, we're at a slower time. Uh, t- games are not going on. There, there's plenty to talk about, but I still strongly believe that Josh Rosen will be their quarterback going forward. Let's move away from the quarterbacks for a minute. Cleveland last week signed Kareem Hunt to a one-year deal. Obviously, you know, that caused a lot of controversy. Let me ask you this. Let's just say, for the sake of discussion, that he has no NFL suspension coming, or if he does, it's minimal. Not not likely the outcome, but again, just for the sake of discussion, let's just say that. And all three running backs that Cleveland have are in the mix for most of the season. Is Duke Johnson the odd man out in Cleveland? Do you think they keep him around as a third running back? Or if they find out that Hunt maybe only gets four games at the most or something like that, do you think they're going to try to trade Duke Johnson? Yeah, well, here's as I put this out on Twitter. So I, Duke Johnson's contract, he's on the second year of a four-year extension. Uh, his base salary of $1.8 million becomes fully guaranteed on March 17th. So that makes him expendable. Not that they can't afford his $1.8 million salary. They're severely under the cap. That's not the issue. He didn't have much of a role last season. and barely touched the football. And you really have to wonder now what kind of role is he going to have with Nick Chubb being the starter? Or, and then, of course, they're bringing another, this, this running back coming in. Now, with Hunt, it's almost a certainty that he's going to be suspended. Whether it's six games, eight games, ten, I can't see a scenario where it's... Because there's tape, I know some people say, well, I would, it's his first time getting in trouble as an NFL player, but you've got tape out there, and that is always damning, as we know. So we'll, we'll see what happens. But I think in the end, I think Duke Johnson's a guy that could help another team uh, because you really have to wonder how much is he really going to touch the football. Once Hunt is playing, we know Chubb's going to be the guy. He was terrific in, uh, once he took over. Um, I, I just don't think there's any room for uh, Duke Johnson. Believe me, there would be some interest if the Browns were willing to trade him. What do you think ends up happening with Antonio Brown? Is he worth the headache? They may come trading him away. And by the way, just because he wants out doesn't mean Pittsburgh is obliged to just give him away in a trade. We saw kind of last year with Le'Veon Bell that the Steelers seem to take a line in the the sand and, you know, they're not going to be bullied 
and just straying from whatever it is their philosophy is. How do you think that situation plays out? And what are a few teams that you could see him going to if ultimately he is traded, which certainly that seems to be the case right now? Yeah, I think when you, when you look at Brown's situation, he's just so, so unique. I, I covered him since the 10th Senior Bowl, and I mean, I'm amazed at how good he's become. He's one of my favorite players to cover just from a performance standpoint and effort. And that's the thing that's so confusing. Okay, he clearly wants out. We knew this. We knew this months ago that he wanted out. No, nothing that's happened is anything new. He, rec- he let the fans know that he, request- that he had requested a trade already through Twitter. But what I thought was bizarre is some of his tweets previously uh, would state he wanted to know if they wanted him to stay or go. It's just very strange. I, he's, he, let's put it this way. The Steelers, I think, will up their effort during the combine. That's when you really could get front of teams and, and, and kind of give it a, a, a litmus test of what's out there uh, for, for in terms of value. It won't be easy because of, of these off-the-field concerns about we, we know about the practice issue and, and, not, and leaving practice and some minor, depending on how you view them, minor off-the-field concerns. The thing with Brown is you have to know how to handle him, his mood swings, talking to multiple team sources. That's the challenge with him. Um, but you, the thing that you love about him, he's unbelievably durable, Patrick. And his effort has always been great. That, that he's a self-made player, by the way. He's five foot ten, never ran really fast, but he made his career by hard work and good coaching. So that's what you love about him. But in terms of you know what teams would trade for him, it has to be a team that I, I don't think he's really going to help. But like like people are pointing, to, I know fans want Niner fans want him to go to San Francisco. Okay, would he help them? Absolutely, because Pierre Garcon won't be back. I put it out in my uh, show on Sirius on Monday. They wouldn't be back. They're, the, the Niners wouldn't. Uh, rollover's option, uh, just because Pierre Garçon's just older and near, clearly near the end of a really good career at he turns 33 in August. Um, Brown would make would help them be better, but I, I just I, I think Brown to me, if I'm getting Antonio Brown, I want a team that I think is I, I think a team Patrick that's close to a Super Bowl. You bring in a guy like this who's unbelievably competitive. And he helps take you to the next level. I don't know how much he's going to help really help a young team, to be honest with you. What about a team like Indianapolis that many think are, you know, on the verge of being a, a legitimate Super Bowl contender and have all the cap room in the world, so m- money wouldn't be a problem? Yeah, I, I just knowing the Colts like I know them, it would very it would be very much a surprise if they went his direction. Uh, you know, T. Y. Hilton turns thirty in November, then you would add Antonio Brown who turns thirty one in, in in this summer. That that's really not what they're looking to do. Uh, it's really not the way Chris Bauer, the GM, is probably going to build his football team. Uh, it would be a very big surprise, not a shock, but a big surprise if they did that. Um, but Antonio Brown, anywhere he goes, he's going to help. Any team where he goes, as long as everything is at the right place for him, I think he's going to help a team. But, uh, again, it, it would surprise me. That's really not the way the Colts do their business. I mentioned Le'Veon Bell a few minutes ago. Probably a little too early to have a, any kind of real grasp on where he may end up. But... Do you have one or two teams that maybe you think could emerge as a legitimate contender for his services when free agency does start next month? Yeah, the teams that I've targeted from day one were the Buccaneers and the Jets. The Buccaneers have a ton of cast base, a ton. They're gonna have a, the plan. They're gonna have, they're gonna be good enough cap shape. Okay. The issue with the Bucks is what do they want to do with their football team? The issue is not on offense; it's on defense. Uh, they need playmakers. They change their scheme from a forty-three, which they've run for decades, to a thirty-four. So they're going to need to flip that with free agents and, and, and players in the draft. 
And the one, you know, although Peyton Barber did a really nice job, a really good job by uh, Jason Light, the GM of, of bringing in a guy like Barber who developed as an undrafted free agent to be more or less their starter last season. Mm-hmm. Did a nice job, but he's just not a, he, he's a fill-in starter. They need someone with versatility, and with, with uh, Bruce Arians' offense with Byron Leftwich, it's going to call the plays. They're going to want a back who, who could be a three-down back, and Bell will be a great fit there because they're great at receiver and they're unbelievable at tight end. Good, not great offensive line. I mean, to me, it's just you need to go get your running back, and then your offense is set. It's defensively where I think they really need the help. Last question about NFL, and then I want to turn my attention to the Bills for a few Who's a guy or two in free agency that you think, and it happens every year, that will end up getting paid way more than most people are going to think he's worth? He's going to get a contract. Fans are going to be like, oh, wow, really? Yeah, the Sammy Watkins deal is probably one of the worst contracts I've seen. A great job by the agent. I'll never blame an agent for getting a contract. Right. I never understood it with Watkins' injury history, uh, and he's really underachieved. He's never lived up to being a first-round pick that the Bills traded up for, as you know. Um there's going to be a player or two, I and mean, you're right, every year it happens. That is dictated. Like, Jarek McKinnon, I remember when I first got the terms on McKinnon's contract, the full terms, I was blown away with that contract. But he was, unfortunately, he got hurt, so I don't blame the Niners there. That was, they had a lot of money to spend, and he was more of a system fit. Um, it, it's going to come down to this. And we mentioned quarterbacks because the quarterback list is dreadful. It's just not, it's not going to be a quarterback. It'll probably, it's going to wind up being a pass rusher. Depending on what happens with the Ziggy Ansah's coming back with shoulder surgery, it's going to be someone at a prime position that that gets free. Maybe maybe this team overpays. Um, like like here, I'll give you an, I'll give you a couple guys. It, it depends on if they become free or not. In terms of just does, does their own team resign them or do they become free? Now D Ford, I've always liked. He's an outside, he was an outside linebacker with the Chiefs, but they're moving to a forty three under Steve Spagnuolo, uh, their new D coordinator. You got to understand what type of player he is. Uh, he's not the biggest guy. He's got really good speed. You want to be careful with him. Anthony Barr is another guy. Anthony Barr is a free agent, former first round pick of the Vikings. Teams liked him as a stand up outside linebacker, really not as a 43 strong side linebacker, which he's played for the Vikings. He's, he's, he's been okay. He's not been the player that I think most people thought he would be. But I think in a better system, he could actually be a surprise if he makes it to free agency. But. It's always hard to predict that, but I could tell you this. I, w- I remember when I put Cody Parkey's numbers out first uh, via Twitter. People kind of surprised by it, and I ought to retweet it now. It's almost been a year. That contract, he's, uh, I'm talking about the Bears kicker. Mm-hmm. He, got a, he got a two-year structure on his contract, which is absurd for a kicker. That turned out to be a great, a great contract for the player, not so good for the team. But uh, don't want to criticize the Bears too much. They had a great season. Sure. All right, let's talk Bills for a second here. Give fans listening a reason right now to be optimistic about this team going into the spring. Yeah, you know what? There are a couple reasons. The defense, you know, is going to be good. Coached by Sean McDermott and Leslie Frazier as a defense coordinator. They, they got a lot of mileage out of that unit, their defensive unit, especially the secondary. My goodness, Micah Hyde and Jordan Poyer have been a big surprise. Jadavious White has been terrific. They just they need more talent on defense. There's no doubt they need playmakers. They they could use another pass rusher, but I, I don't worry about their defense. I worry significantly about their offense. Yeah, the receiver position. Patrick Dean's major help. Um, you know, I'm, I love that Chad Hall got promoted. I covered Chad when he was with the Eagles. Great story. Almost became a Super Bowl champ of the Niners. Got there, but didn't win it. Uh, he, he's been. He's guys worked really hard to get where he's been, and 
they'll do a good job with those receivers. They just, I mean, McDermott, McDermott and Brandon Bean will figure it out at receiver, but they're going to have to really address it to help Josh Allen out. And the good thing about Josh Allen is this, Brian Dable will be back as the OC. Having him come back is really, really important. Josh Allen needs the same coaches back-to-back working with him, especially the offensive coordinator. And LaShawn McCoy's on the final year of his deal. We'll see if he stays there. They probably need a draft or running back. But you know, overall, do I have faith in it? I think they'll be better than last season because of Josh Allen. They know now how he needs to be coached. Uh, he needs to throw the ball more, a little bit, little bit more, needs to run less. I didn't realize he was the great athlete that he turned out to be. Uh, but they've got a look. They've got a lot of room for growth in offense. By the way, really good signing by Spencer Long. I'm told he'll he'll most likely be the starter at center. Um, there's an outside chance he competes for guard, but my understanding is it's probably going to be center. Good signing. He was hurt virtually the whole season uh, last year. That's why the Jets let him go. But if they're going to if they're going to be a nine and seven or ten and sixteen this season, which is I think the most they can do, they've got to make significant upgrades at wide receiver. They need a good young running back and they need a playmaker or two in defense. That's what's going to take, but be, please be patient. Uh, I'm hoping Sean McDermott um, and Brandon Bean take this the right way. Don't sign like 10 free agents. That's not the way you win. This is not Major League Baseball. It's impossible to win through a free agency. It's never been done. If you do it the way the Eagles do it, you draft, you draft your team, you supplement through free agency, and that's really the way it works. What have you heard around the league about Josh Allen? What's the perception of him around the league right now, say, compared to when he came into the draft? Because I know there were a lot of fans and a lot of a lot of media people who were very low on Josh Allen before the season started. Yeah, I, I think it's mostly the same. Um, the thing they're talking to the Bills is really high-character kid, hard worker, great attitude. Players, because of that off-the-field issue that he had as a teenager, um, I think there were some people, I know because I talked to some agents whose players complain about it, once they got to know him, be around him, they love him. So that's all behind him. I think the perception of the league is virtually the same in that he had, he had issues with accuracy. That has not changed very much. But the good thing is he now knows what is expected of him. They're going to have him in the middle of April when the coaches can work with him. That's very, very important. He's going in as the starter. He gets starter reps. That's going to be important. Not that I think he could be good as anywhere close to being good as, uh, we'll use Carson Wentz as an example, but the jump that Carson Wentz, Patrick, made from year one to year two, and I'm, again, please, people, when you know if you're quoting me here, I'm not saying he's going to be an MVP candidate, but Allen's got the arm and the athleticism off the hook, okay? The athleticism part, I didn't realize he was this great of an athlete. So you love that. But if his accuracy gets to 60%, because that was an issue with that Wentz had, you're looking at here a play that's going to take a major jump. Wentz, by the way, was probably going to be NFL's MVP in the second year. So um, I, I like the direction that they're having. And by the way, they're going to address that offensive line. There's no question about it. They know they have to. Oh, yeah. Uh, they'll do that. And uh, Bobby Johnson does a good job. He, he if you might remember him with the Bills at the original time, he was their assistant online coach, so I think, or tight ends or, or assistant online, I can't remember now. But he was with the Colts, who did a great job with their offensive line. So that's a great hire, Chad Hall. Uh, I like this coaching staff. It's just a matter of um, the, the front office and Sean Dermott. They've got, to do, they've got to do a really good job here of adding talent. I talked several times on this podcast about LaShawn McCoy. Obviously, a former Philadelphia Eagle, you're based around there. You have your finger on the pulse of that team really well. 
Do you think he was close last year to being traded to Philly before the deadline? They ended up swinging a deal for Golden Tate. There are a lot of rumors out there that he might get traded to Philly. Did that ever come close to fruition, or is that just rumors, just nonsense? No, what happened was, is I think the way it's explained to me by, by multiple sources, that if the Bills were willing to give him away, and by the way, he turns 31 in, in August, and he was clearly not the same player. I know he battled with their minor injuries, and the offensive line was not very good, but no, I, 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 I think it was a real long shot. Uh, yes, they were, if the right deal came to, to pass, they would have looked at it, but... Um, no, I don't think there was anything even remotely going to happen. Very small chance to begin with. Um, and the, the Bills, again, as we talked about earlier, they're going to have to do – they need a young running back in there. I don't think there's any question about it. Now, he's got one more year left, left on his deal. And yep, yep. He's, he's making $9 million, which, again, his age and the fact that they do need a new running back, a younger running back, like you said, do you think there's any chance, even though Brandon Bean has said that he's in the plans for 2019, the Bills could save – like almost $6.5 million if they are to cut him during this period. Do you think there's any chance that happens, or do you think he's firmly entrenched to the Bills for 2019? Yeah, I, I would say this time around, I think I think nothing would surprise me here. Like I, I, I know, as you said, there were rumors of the trade deadline, but nothing came to pass. I mean, they could save over $6 million if, if, um, if they cut him. It's not that they're in a cap crunch. It's just that who is, if you're going to replace him, it certainly would not be Chris Ivory. He's had too big of an injury history. What are you going to do? You don't have that running back of the roster. Like, if you want to get rid of someone, you have to have someone to replace him. That's where they could look in the draft. If you and I were ranking, what are their biggest needs going into the offseason? Offensive line is number one. Wide receiver is number two. Young running back is three, yeah. four, five, however you want to rank it. Yep. I'd like to see another defensive end with pass rush ability. Jerry Hughes is getting up there. Trent Murphy surprised me come back from his ACL injury. He actually flashed a little bit, and Shaq Lawson has not been... I mean, he, let's put it this way. Shaq Lawson has had his moments. I don't know if he'll ever get to be where they thought he would get, and I, I would like to see one more playmaker on defense. I think those, those three... And by the way, tight end, I mean, Charles Clay, it just never happened. Uh, no offense to Charles Clay. He signed an enormous contract. Uh, though there were other teams involved. I remember doing some reporting on that contract and that, that, that signing, but uh, he's never, it's, it's never happened for him there. Uh, but offensive line, wide receiver, young running back, playmaker on defense, um, and that's it. I think uh, I think this will be a nine or ten win team once they get that done. Last question, then I'll let you go, Adam. Unrelated to football, Buffalo Bills, anything like that? You're a Philly guy. Let me ask you, man. How far are the Philadelphia Seventy Sixers going to go this year? They look like a complete enigma out there. I feel like they should be better than they are, but they are still good. I like the 76ers. I'm a Philly guy. How far is this team going this year? Hey, my only problem with the Sixers is this. They have the same issues that they've always had. Uh, they don't stop dual penetrating guards. This has been a real problem of mine in the last two seasons. Uh, ben Simmons does not fight for picks very well. As much as I love Simmons watching him play, he's 6'10". Use your length, man. He lets players get a dribble past him, and then he tries to stop him with his length. He needs to stop them when the player's in front of them. Uh, and they don't have a good shooter coming off the bench because Redick is a starter, not the sixth man like last season. Uh, they, 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 that's the one thing they miss. Their bench is not as good now as they thought it would be after those trades and signings. Um, how, I mean, they're going to win somewhere in the mid-50s probably. I think they could win two playoff series. I don't think they're not going to get to the championship. I just don't think they're good enough 
unfortunately, and as much as I hate the Celtics, I have to give them credit. The Celtics, for whatever reason, have their number, and the Sixers have not been able to solve it. Tell everyone out there listening what you got going on these days. Many Adam Kaplan fans out there. What do you got going on? Yeah, for the three of you out there, no, I'm, I'm kidding. <laughs> well, I'm sure there's five. But I appreciate it. Yeah, so obviously you follow me on Twitter, Kaplan NFL, C-A-P-L-A-N NFL. You'll hear me on Sirius NFL Radio hosting. So I'll be hosting on the NFL channel. This will be my 16th year. I'm also on the Fantasy Channel. You can hear me twice a week, Wednesdays and Fridays there. And then TV, I'm probably going to be doing TV this year, later this year. We'll see where that goes. I've been a contributor to Stadium. Uh, go stadium, um, watchstadium.com. I've been doing NFL segments with my friend Michael Kim, uh, who's a great host there, and uh, we'll have some announcements later this year. I look forward to it. I'm actually, and I'm, I'm hosting the Zach Ertz Foundation charity event for Thuzio, which I cannot wait on the uh, in Philly on uh, to the, night, the night before I leave for the combine. It's the 26th of uh, of this month, and I look forward to doing that. Zach's a great guy and his incredible charitable work. We know about the NFL record he set, but he does way better things off the field, and he's a great guy. And I look forward to doing that. All right, good stuff. Adam Kaplan, always fun talking to you. Appreciate your time, Adam. Thank you. Right, time for another running with Joe. Got my buddy Joe on the line. Buffalo wins on Twitter. What's going on, dude? How you doing? Living the dream, man. Living the dream. You're always living the dream. Normally, I would love to have small talk with you. We usually bullshit about the weather or drinking or some shit like that. But let's get right down chicken to chicken wings. Yeah, chicken wings. On. Exactly. The office. I can. You get me going. I could talk forever on that. Thrones. Shit. <laughs> yeah, thrones. Definitely. Not today, though, dude. Not fucking today. I am pissed off. I've had it with the Sabres. I am frustrated. This team, how does this happen? How do you go from being number one in the NHL at the end of November to where we are right now? Same bullshit we've pretty much been dealing with for the last seven years. Dude, this team is fucking toast. They're toast now. Yeah, it's uh, I was tr- I was talking to a few buddies of mine today trying to figure out, like, when was the last time like the Sabres had like an epic collapse of when they were so high in a season and then now so low? Like, it's I think I said this like a few weeks ago, like it's like the Bills 2008 season, 2011 season with them starting five and one and then five and two, I think, in, in 2011. And it just bombed like this is ex- this is like this is foreign territory for the Sabres. It's and- the worst. This is yeah, the worst dude, of all of them. This is the worst of all of them. The last couple of years. I mean, this is our first full year doing this podcast, but I'll tell you right now, if we were doing this for the last five years, our tone right now would be, you know, are they tanking? Are they not tanking? Who's the top prospects in the draft? That same shit every year. This was different. This was supposed to be different. This team was good for a while. They won 10 straight games. Number one in the NHL at the end of November, you know, and then they just, and this is, I mean, come on, man, a, a critical Stretch of the season, it just went by in front of our eyes. They just played the 12th, 13th, and 14th best teams in the conference. And they came away zero points. Zero. So, goodbye. See ya. They lost. I mean, you lose by a couple of goals in each game. And no excuse. I think. They get crushed. I think. 
Yeah, I think what you start off with is this. Like, it just across the board, it's just been bad. I mean, it, the reason why they had that hot start, I think you had you had your blue line getting involved, which they're not doing anymore. They're not they're not scoring as many goals as they did at at the start of the season with the blue line getting involved. Your goaltending's been inconsistent. They 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 have they run a hot guy like Olmark would be hot one game, and then they go to they go to Carter. And he he's not very good. And then they go back to Olmark, and then Olmark's bad. Like the anytime they zig and zag with the goaltending situation, it kind of is like the wrong move to make. But their goaltending's been inconsistent. Their secondary scoring, which has kind of been an issue all season, isn't there right now. And we're, basically, you're a one line hockey team. It's whoever plays on the, on the Jack Eichel line with Skinner. That's your team right now. And it, it's I think the most frustrating thing is that they you know. As a Sabres fan, you're just sick of this shit. It's eight years they haven't been to the playoffs. And this is, when we're taping this, it's the week that that uh, Pagula bought the team eight years ago. And we, we think back to that moment of him saying, goal is our sole reason to exist is to win the Stanley Cup. You talk about him drilling another oil well if he wants to make money. And nothing it has been a disaster. If you would have told us, Pat, if you had a time machine, we went back to 20... 11 or whatever the hell it was eight years ago 2011 it, you know if we went back there and said to ourselves like hey by the way you're going to get an owner who's going to spend all this money doesn't give a shit about the cap doesn't care about you know making money and this is what's going to happen eight years later and we told ourselves from 2011 this is what was going to happen we would have been like are you kidding me my dream has always been for our sports teams growing up. And the Sabres and Bills have always had the same kind of ownership, in my opinion. Like, just frugal owners that, you know, with the Sabres, they had one owner that freaking went to jail. Another owner who ran out of money while he was building the stadium. And he had to sell the team to the guy who went to jail. And then you had Galasano, who didn't give a shit about hockey, and he just wanted to make money. And my dream was always, oh, my God, how great would it be if you get an owner in here, they got money, and they're going to throw it at it, and we'll be fine. Like, no more of this, you know, uh, cash to the cap or any of this crap. And look what happens. It's been a fucking disaster. And I think that's the worst thing. Like, no one has patience right now with this team. It's been eight freaking years, and they can't even, they can't even be in the hunt. They're six points out. They've collapsed. I got to see other teams making trades at the deadline, and I'm being told – by Jason Bottle, who had his press conference on Wednesday where he was like, oh, it's an accomplishment that we started off, that we had such a hot November. What? It's like, what What standards do you have here right now? Where three months ago, I'm supposed to be like, oh, let's, like, let's put this banner up of great in November. You know, like, stop being so minor league. Like, this is what I think pisses off fans. Like, it's just enough. Maybe five, six years ago, I would be patient. Like, okay, well, we'll see what happens. But it's like, dude, you're in year eight. This is the longest drought in the history of the franchise, times two. I think the longest drought prior to Pagula buying the team or this this current drought, which is eight years, by the way, was like three years of them not making the playoffs. Okay, and we it's almost triple that. And if Carolina makes the playoffs, guess what? We own the, the NHL longest drought. So it's just been horrible. I spent $170 on center ice, and I got to watch shitty fucking hockey. So, yeah, go ahead. What? Well, Here's the most frustrating thing. Man, you're a Mike Hawk, by the way. <laughs> Seriously, though, the most frustrating thing about this entire process for me is that we both know that hockey, probably more than any other major sport, is a game of inches. There seems to be so much luck involved in hockey. So often, you know, the, the best team loses to the worst team because, you know, the way a puck bounced off the boards or, you know, 
a, a fluke goal went in, something like that. It just happens a lot in hockey. So many one goal games, as opposed to the NFL, you know, where you win seven, 10 points or more, more times than not, or an ace pitcher just mows you down in baseball. LeBron dominates in basketball, whatever have you. Hockey for me, it always seems to come down to a one goal game, no matter who's playing. But anyway, this stretch, this critical stretch, again, 12, 13, and 14 in the Eastern Conference they're playing. They're six points back or five points back, I think, when it all started. Good chance to pick up six, three wins, six points, get right back in this shit. What do they do? They go out and have fucking zero points. They lose every game, which is bad in itself. But the worst part of all of it is they looked lifeless. They laid down. That's it. None of the games were competitive. They got blown out by the Rangers at home. They got blown the fuck out in New Jersey last Sunday. And then earlier this week, Tuesday night in Florida, they lose one-sided 4-1. to None of the games were even close. Bill Housley calls his team soft last Friday after that Rangers game. You would think they're going to go to New Jersey with a chip on their shoulder. We have something to prove. No, they lay down, dude. They laid down. They were awful, awful, lifeless. No better in Florida Tuesday. I mean, at this point, I don't know if the players have tuned them out. I mean, Jesus Christ, another freaking tune them out kind of a uh, coach. Is that what we got here? Because this happened with Dan Bleisma. Bill Housley, based on how this team started, where they were at, and how they've fallen apart, and how, let me reemphasize that again, that word how, they have fallen apart so badly to me, that X can swing on him, man. I'm good with him getting fired at this point. But we both know Jason Botterill is not going to fire Phil Housley. In fact, he said Wednesday before a a team practice in Tampa that he's not going to get fired and that he was satisfied with the way the team looked earlier in the season, and he considered that progress. The reason why Jason Botterill, no matter what, I think is not going to fire Phil Housley because if he does, well, he's basically admitting I was in charge and I picked the wrong coach. I picked Phil Housley. He was the wrong choice. I'm firing him after just two seasons. And all of a sudden, that bullseye that a lot of fans are throwing on Phil Housley right now, all of a sudden, man, that shit falls directly on Jason Botterill. I'll go a step above it being Botterill being like doesn't want to do that because it would make him look like a you know a guy who pulls the trigger too quickly. How about the Pagulas? Like how many got how many guys for both teams, GMs, coaches, presidents have been fired since they've owned the team? I counted it. It's something around like twelve since twenty thirteen, and with the Sabers, it's like half of that, maybe even more. You know, I don't think they want to fire Housley because it will make them look stupid in terms of, Oh, Hey, this is our, what their fifth coach. I think what it's Lindy. It's, it's Lindy Rolston, Nolan, Bilesma, and this guy in Housley. That's five coaches since they had the team. Imagine like they probably don't want to do that and have egg on their face. You know, again, I think what's happening right now with Botterill and Housley is this. They have a little bit of the bills in them right now where I think they want to be bad this year a little bit. And they're trying desperately to slow roll the rebuild and telling everyone, hey, it's going to take a while. It's all about development. It's all about these prospects coming in. And and then we got these three draft picks that's going to be coming up in the first round. All this sort of uh, sort of stuff. I think that's what they're banking on. And again, the problem is this fan base has no patience. And not only that, they can point 
the fans and media, if they want to, to other teams that have turned it around quickly. The New York Islanders are a joke. We're a joke. They lost their best player last year. And where are they now right now? They're in first place. They got a coach who, who was with the Caps last year when they won the Stanley Cup. So, hey, that shows you what happens maybe if you have a different coach in there. You have teams like last year, I think it was like the, this year, actually, the Canadians, who were horrible last year. They're in the playoff picture. These, there are other teams that are doing their darndest when they've come from like the barrel of extinction to they turn it around quickly. This happens a lot in the NHL, and it's not happening here at all. They have regressed kind of like since since not not to, not from last year because you know Bonner wants to say how good they are from last year, but I'm talking about like two three years ago, like the first year of of Murray and Bilesma, or you know, in terms of that, like that they have regret they have kind of regressed since that that puck that juncture. That and, whole, you know, that whole patience who, shit that you talk about or the progress that works. If you say that it's September and October before the season, people would probably sign up to be six points out of a playoff race right now. People probably would have signed up for that shit in September and October, a little bit of progress here and there, but no, you know what, dude, when you start out well, when you win 10 fucking games in a row, when you're on top of the NHL standings on November 29th, and now you're out where you are. That shit don't fly anymore. You know what I'm saying? It don't fly with fans. They're tired yeah. of it. It doesn't, and, and it doesn't fly as we're taping this, you know, today on Wednesday night when you don't make any moves to like, you know, this team has been dying since like since the early part of January where all of us were like, yo, there's something going on here and they haven't made any moves and, you know, other teams around them are making moves and it's just frustrating. Like, I, you know, you just want them to get in the, get in the, the cups and you're not, you know, get in the playoffs for God's sakes. And they just they just haven't done it. And right now, I think their problem is, as I said, they don't have enough secondary scoring. Their blue line's not their blue line is not getting involved offensively, and they suck in their own end. Like we're still lining against the Panthers, and there and I think it was I forgot which goal it was where you know he he got he got worked, and he and the one guy had the puck, and then he lost the puck, and he was still going after the guy with the without the puck, it was as if he like thought he had the puck or whatever the hell happened against Florida, and it's just like they're making amateur mistakes on the blue line. Like that whole blue line sucks. And that whole blue line, by the way, is revamped from what they inherited from Tim Murray. You know what I mean? So it's, it's I think Ristolainen may be the only guy or it's Ristolainen and McCabe are the only two guys remaining from that blue line. So I don't want to hear, like I, I've been arguing with people on, on Twitter this week, talking to me about, well, you know, they inherited this mess and, and that's why it's taking forever to do this. I was like, you know what? They inherited two, they inherited four top six forwards. Okay, and Kane, O'Reilly, Eichel, and Reinhardt, and w- and it's not like they they inherited the tank team. Okay, and I'm not saying it was like the greatest inheritance in the world, but don't tell me they inherited nothing. And they've changed players around dramatically. We all, we all heard last year, the, the first year together, what they had what ten opening, ten new players opening night. So don't tell me that they didn't have an opportunity to change things around. You know, and that's what I think. I think. They are in this process of they are like, hey, this is going to be a super slow rebuild. We're going to build through the draft. And again, let me tell you, like the draft in hockey is a fucking crapshoot once you get out of the top five. And if you're relying on these guys to do well outside in the second, third, fourth round, you know, good luck. You know, because if I were them, I would take those picks. I would trade them, go to a, a team that has cap issues, find a veteran guy on that team who's like 26, 27 years old. Get that guy off that guy at the, off that payroll. Bring him here because I want guys playing now. Okay, and if you're gonna wait to the summer, fine. You know, whatever. I'm already at the point where the season lost. Fuck it. They're probably gonna bring Housley back, and then, but like in the summer next year, it's gonna be crucial because I think patience has run out with the Pagulas, 
the feel good story about what the, saving the teams and all that shit. You know, right now it's a joke of what they're doing and no one has patience and they need to, they need to have some urgency right now, especially in the freaking summer. And I don't want to get excited when they bring in some fourth line center or third line center. Like give me some players, man. Give me some second linemen. Give me a set. Give me a center. Okay. A second center. Okay. Give me, give, give me back O'Reilly for God's sakes. If you want to, you know, this is the problem right now. There's not enough talent and not enough urgency. By, by the GM, by ownership right now. Botterell's been too patient. That's been his problem this year. He wrote out this roster for too long. That after that winning streak, they started going down. Everyone saw it. He wrote it out. He didn't make any significant, he didn't make any changes, actually, for that matter. Think, like, He's put yeah. together, at the end of the day, Jason Botterell. And again, I'm not saying fire Jason Botterell right now. That's not where I'm getting at. But I have a right to be pretty fucking pissed off at him right now. He's put together, bottom line, two really bad rosters. Over these for his first two years, this is not a good roster. This is a bad roster. And trading Ryan O'Reilly was an awful trade. And I'm not necessarily saying that dealing him in itself was the wrong move, but to get what they got back for him, the return from him has been fucking pathetic, dude. Berglund's already gone. Saboka is the whipping boy of the fan base now. Everyone makes jokes about him every day. Tage Thompson, he looks like a fringe NHL player best. He looks like Bailey. And Baptiste, the way they did in Rochester when they would come up and they really couldn't do much. That's what I see with Tage Thompson, released right now. Sure, they get a first-round pick next year, which, by the way, might not. it's not going to be a low pick. It's looking like it might be a mid-to-high or mid-to-low pick, I should say, first-round because St. Louis is on the rise. And then they get a second-round pick, I think, in 2021. That's not good value, dude. Ryan O'Reilly is one of the better players in the NHL. He's got 61 points in 59 games this year for the Blues. They've won 11 straight games in a row. He's right there. At the center of it, I don't want to be a hypocrite because I was kind of one of those guys who said, you know what, it's time to move on for this guy. He's making $7.5 million for I don't know how many years he had left on his deal. Fucking the next 15 years. Who knows? I don't have a problem so much with the deal. I have a problem with the return. It looks like it was a shitty return. And that's on your GM. When you make a big trade like that and you don't get shit back, that's on you. So yeah, he's done a bad job putting together a roster both years he's been here. And I don't want to, I don't buy that shit this year. I'll give him last year, you know, because of everything that was going on, what he inherited, but not this year, dude. Not a good roster at all. He's made a lot of bad decisions, and worst of all, he's just sitting there and letting things happen, and, and he's not doing anything about it. Nothing. Because I'm telling you, I think their plan was they weren't going to really compete this year, and it was going to be – it's a little bit like the Bills with McBean where, like, they wanted to kind of be bad the last two years, and year three was going to be when they – they made their their takeoff. I think that's what they're looking at with the Sabres right now. That's why he hasn't made a, a move. And to your point with O'Reilly, look, this is my thing. I was like, whatever he with his quote, you know, it's it, like it was weird that he admitted, and I, I I feel like him admitting that he lost the passion is what ultimately drove him out of town. But like, I was like, look, if you want to trade him, fine, but get good value. You already said it. They got shit value. Shit. And what I would have, what I would have done would have been like. I, if I was Botterill, and I, I'll, I'll just spitball here. I have no inside knowledge. I feel like maybe ownership was like, get this guy out of here, maybe. And let's just say that was the, that was the case where they were like, this guy sounds like a head case. He wants to get out. He's depressed or whatever the fuck. Get him out of here. I would have, if I was Botterill, I would have went to them and go, we are not getting, because everyone knew, everyone knew at that juncture, they were trading O'Reilly at some point. They, because of what happened with that. And even leading up to that, there was like locker room rumors or innuendos, all that crap. I would have went up to ownership and said, look, this is what we're getting. It's not fair value. Let's just wait it out. Let's like meet, do 
meet, let's meet with him, clear the air, have a come to Jesus meeting, release a press release that says, oh, hey, we love each other. The passion's back, whatever the fuck. And then like keep him this year. And then if he has a good year, which he has, he's had good years here, even prior, you know, this year he's, he's even better. He's going to have 80 points probably. But even last year and the year before he was good. And if he's better this year, and this is like saying that if he was with the Sabres, then if you want to trade him because his value will be better and people won't think you're desperate to trade him. Everyone knew they wanted to trade him last year because of that stupid quote. And look what they got. And look, Tage Thompson, he's still young. You know, maybe he'll be good. But like that guy should be in the minor leagues right now. You know, and that first round pick they got, it better be freaking great or they better use it to go get someone else. Because right now it looks like a bad move. And can you imagine? If you have him on this team right now, you have O'Reilly as your second center, and then you have like you have uh, oh gosh, uh, Middlestat as your third center. That helps out tremendously, and O'Reilly helps your team right now. He gives you at least probably ten points maybe in the standings because of how badly they have missed secondary scoring outside of that first line. But yeah, it's a shitty deal and. Yeah, it's it's, it's, just, it's sad uh, it's that there's there's 23 games left in the season. Actually, when you hear this on Friday morning, there'll be 22 games left. They're playing Tampa Bay again after we tape this, so we don't know how that game's going to go. I'm going to go on a limb here and say it's probably not going to go very well. By the way, side note, you know I live 45 minutes from the Emily Arena. I'm not going. I'm not going to the game. I'm not going to waste my time, my gas, my money. I, I'm just so I'm I'm mad at this team, dude. I really am. I'm fuming at them right now. I'll tell you this much. One more thing here, and then I want to move on from the Sabres. Jason Botterill, if it's not before Monday's deadline this summer, better get busy because this roster, it, it, it's awful, and it needs to it needs to be overhauled badly. McCabe, Gergensens, Larson, Ballou, those are all restricted free agents. See ya, every one of them. I wouldn't make an offer to one of them. Pominville's an un, unrestricted free agent. Much respect to you, Jason. Great career, but see you later. And then they got Scandella. Bogosian, Saboka, they all got one year left on their contract after this year. Get rid of them. Trade them. I trade, would, them for, trade them for a seventh-round pick. I don't care if you can't get rid of them Monday. Get rid of them over the summer or buy one or two of them out. That's seven, eight, nine guys right there. They got to get rid of all of them. And they got to make some moves because Olafson and, and Brandon Gooley are the only two guys that I see right now in Rochester that are probably going to be on this roster opening night next year for sure. So they got a lot of work to do, and they better fucking do it because Jason Botterill this summer, when you look back at the at the Ryan O'Reilly trade and what they have not done, especially over these last couple months as the team started to fall apart, everyone sees it, but Jason Botterill's, I, I, he's satisfied. It sounds to me like a GM right now who is satisfied to be good for two months. That's fucking bullshit, and that's not going to sell fans at all. I will say this about those guys. I would keep McCabe. I think he's good. I mean, he's fine. He's solid. Uh, everyone else, yeah, I, I can care less about. Maybe Pondville. Pondville's like making too much money right now. But if you can get Pondville, well, he's going to be like, a free agent, yeah. So, yeah, but like if you can get Pondville for cheap and go, hey, you know, you want to have like, I don't know, you give him like two to three million dollars. Like you give him the Gianta deal and go, hey, come here and like be a third, fourth line guy. Like maybe you know, Larson McGurgis, get the hell out of here. I'm so sick of those two guys. They've been here forever. It's same, the same. I, I always remember those two guys as me fighting with people on Twitter when they when they drafted Gergensons and then they got Larson telling me like, Oh, these guys are going to be good. And, and Larson's going to be yoke and hash and they're going to pay him like $4 million. And I'm like, get the hell out of here. You don't know anything in terms of like whether these prospects are going to be good or not. So worst case you know, scenario, dude, when we got together around the holidays, let's just say around Christmas, new year's for, for a running with Joe segment, worst case scenario. I never, ever thought 
that we would be in February still with 20-something games left, talking about being sellers at the trade deadline and, and putting a wrap on the season with 20-something games to go when they were where they were at right around the holidays. It, it just it blows yeah, my dude, freaking mind. Blows dude. my mind. I remember when after the winning streak happened, I will always on this podcast, I will remember I told you, oh, they're going to the playoffs. Yes, and you I remember did. you were like, really? You think so? Yep, and I, I was did. like, yes. And like, I mean, we look, I look like a fucking idiot. From I wasn't, that. Get, and, I wasn't convinced like you. However, I didn't think this was going to happen. I, I don't know. I'd have to look it up. I think they're like the second worst team in the NHL since the 10 game winning streak. I think Ottawa's the only team in the NHL that's had fewer points in Buffalo since that 10 game winning streak. Yeah, they're like the second. I think they have like the second. They're tied for like the second fewest with like two other teams. I looked it up since December 1st. So, and they have 11 wins since then. So, yeah. One more thing here. One more thing. Botterill, definitely, he's not going anywhere. He says Phil Housley's not going anywhere. They're not going to trade Eichel. (laughs) You know, they're not going to get rid of Reinhardt. They're not going to try to keep Skinner. Last thing here. Then we'll move on to WWE. Do you think that they're going to do anything before Monday? Um, I would not be surprised if they sell, if they sell like a couple of players, like Pominville, they could trade, you know, maybe, maybe Scandella. Who knows? I mean, I don't know what team would want Scandella right now. He seems like a disaster. Uh, but I could see whoever's a free agent after this year, I think it's going to get dealt. And I'll just say this again, next year, if they're bringing Housley back, which I think that's the sound of it. Like we talked about, unless they, unless they go really horrifically bad. I don't even think it matters at this point. I still think he'll be back. Yeah. I think he's going to be back, but like, again, it's going to, it depends what type of rebuild they're doing. If they go into the off season and they don't really make too many moves and it's about the draft and it's about prospects, then they could be setting themselves up with, with telling the Pagulas like, Oh, Hey, look, this, you need to relax. You need to let it marinate a little bit longer. We need to like draft and have like three, four years of like rebuilding, which again, like I, I went on a diatribe before you don't have to wait that long in the NHL. If you know what the hell you're doing. You st- and that's where I think if, if that's the case where it's like, you know, they don't make, really make too many moves in the summer, then, then what are you going to do? Like, are you going to fire them with the same roster next year? Like the roster right now is not good. Are I mean, you starting to worry that maybe this roster might have a bunch of coach killers in the locker room between Blysman last year, Bill Housley this year. Again, you look at these last three games, it looks like the Sabres rolled over. That three-game stretch, it looked like on the ice, like they were rolling over. I don't like that at all. And you got to start wondering, you know, we could talk about Botterill forever. We already have. We could talk about Phil Housley forever. What about some of these guys in the fucking locker room, man? And I'm even going to go as far as Jack Eichel. You know, great talent, great player. But has he got a problem with coaching? Do you think that might be an issue? Some of these guys, Reinhardt, uh, I don't know, some of these young kids who just maybe they're tuning Phil Housley out. If they keep tuning him out like they allegedly tuned out Dan Blysma, at some point, maybe it's time to start pointing your finger at the players. Maybe we got some fucking coach killers in that locker room right now. Yeah, I don't know. I talked to some guy who who is on the on the beat, and they told me today that the players seem to like Housley. So you know, it's they not ain't like playing Housley's like a dude. Yeah, I mean, and that's one thing. I think. Look, I think at the end of the day, the talent's not there. You know, I'm I'm ranting because I'm just pissed off because it's been eight years, and I just don't feel like hearing all the excuses, and I'm just over it. But if I was in a coma and I just woke up and I didn't have to live through the bullshit that we've endured the last eight years. And it was like, oh, hey, you know, I, I looked, I objectively looked at the Sabres. I would say their biggest problem is that the players aren't good enough after that first line. It's dog shit after that, man. It's It really is. And that's why I think, depending on how they're, they're rebuilding, it's going to be through the draft 
And I think maybe, you know, hopefully, and I really don't want to be thoroughly through the draft. Like, you better you lose, use one of those first-rounders to get a guy that can come here right away and play. But I think that's the biggest issue right now. This roster, it's just not good. After that first line, man, the forwards, it's just a, a huge dip. The blue line is a huge dip. You know, and, and, and I don't know what to, to tell you. It's just one of those things where I think everyone's frustrated. And no one wants to hear this you know, this, this anymore, they're, they're tired of it. You, you had the tank, which I'm pro tank guy, but you had to go through like two years of being horrific. And then you thinking, okay, Hey, here's the light at at the end of the tunnel. And it's not light at the end of the tunnel. It's a fucking train that keeps hitting you over and over and over again. So it's just been fans have just gone through too much since in the last eight years, man, you know, in the last 10, hell go back to Drury and Briere leaving July 1st in 2007. Like it's just, it's just been a disaster since then, you know, let's, let's leave the Sabres for there. I want to spend a couple minutes and we're going to get out of here talking WWE Monday night. And I guess on SmackDown as well this week, NXT call-ups debuting on raw and SmackDown. What's your take on that? I personally, I hated it. I'm only because it's not that I don't want to see new guys come up. I'm just really confused by all the timing. I feel like, Bring the new guys up after WrestleMania. You know, Ricochet and Aleister Black, DIY, what is it, DIW? DIY, my fault. I, DIY, I, get, yeah. I get that wrong all the time. But anyway, bring those guys up, and I like them, but bring them up after WrestleMania. This is the time of year where you're promoting the big stories for WrestleMania. I, I just, I'm, I'm at a loss at why they're doing that. And, and to make matters worse, which maybe they probably didn't take account for, that crowd Monday Night Raw, I don't know if you watch it Monday in Lafayette. Oh, yeah, Louisiana, the crowd sucked. The crowd sucked. Kind of killed the whole thing. Kind of killed the whole vibe of the, of the NXT guys coming up. That was Chicago, Philly, New York, you know, Atlanta, LA, something like that. The crowd would have been much hotter for them. That was a weak-ass yeah. crowd. It just felt to me like that's not the right time to bring these guys in. You're on the road to WrestleMania. What, what, What's the reason there? And one other thing, too. I don't mind these guys coming up and going over WWE talent, but make it enhancement talent. I mean, you had Aleister Black in 24 hours cleanly and dominantly defeat Elias and then Andretti. I did not like that whatsoever. Um, The revival loss and the bar loss, DIY, they beat them two times, 24 hours. I mean, they're just, they're going, NXT supposed to be, aren't they supposed to be the developmental show? They're coming up to the main roster and fucking owning these guys. I got a problem with that. What do you think? Um, I'll say this. Let me just tell you, I've listened to wrestling observer today with uh, Meltzer. Uh, He had talked about that. The reason why they made these call-ups and I kind of tweeted about this on Friday or uh, when they happened on Monday night was Vince is kind of panicking about AEW. Oh yeah. And he wants to get these guys up. These are, did you know it's the four guys they call up? pure wrestlers guys who can fucking work and that's what aew wants i think he wanted to bring them up because two things one they make more money on the main roster and two i he's i think desperate and scared that they're gonna come that they're gonna come and take a lot of their audience away and that's why i think they were like bring these guys up we're gonna give them wins right away and we're gonna we're gonna have them go over on guys who have been on the roster for maybe for for maybe too long aside aside from Andrade so whatever his name is um I was fine with them winning because they need to build stars right now and they try to do the when they did the the, the first NXT call-ups which was you know a month ago 
you know, it was it was what it was it was EC three who's been horrible. He has done nothing. He just stares in a mirror. It's like Vince. It's it's like Vince McMahon like saw the narcissist Lex Luger uh, promos from nineteen ninety two and was like, ah, oh, you're gonna be that guy. And it's it sucked. He's got the the, the te- you know heavy machinery, which basically they're like the bushwhackers. It feels like yeah, and they they should be better than that. They're awesome workers. And then Lacey Evans, I. I heard that they want Lacey Evans to go against a, 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 uh, against uh, a soccer. What the heck's her name? Asuka. Uh, yeah, WrestleMania. Asuka. I've heard Asuka. rumors about Asuka. that. Yeah, like they want Asuka. I to think go they, I don't her. know about that, but they got to push for her. That, you can see that that that's coming. You can see that brewing already. Well, she sucks. She can't work. She's a horrible wrestler. It's typical Vince, who like every time he sees he sees someone that looks like Sable, he wants to shove him down her throat. And having her having Asuka lose to Mandy Rose, I almost wanted to throw my freaking TV out the out the window. Uh, when that happened on SmackDown, but to your to put to your point, look, this this is how they they you know I would rather have them t- getting wins and then seeing where they go from th- from there. But like the thing is, every t- they always mess these call ups up anyway. So like I just I can't remember the last time like an NXT call up came up and was like, wow, that guy did fabulous. Like the revival did nothing when they got called up and they were like the most declarative tag team in NXT history you know and, and, and they just lost they just won the belts two weeks ago and they just lost to an nxt call up on monday night that's my kind of my point you're trying to build these guys up and you're just having nxt guys come up and they, go over them elias is supposed to be one of the better heels in wwe he got dominated alistair black whooped his ass what am i supposed to think about elias going forward now am i supposed to take him serious i can't well elias has always been i don't know elias has always been common like honky-tonk man to me he's just mid-card he's a mid-card guy honest to god I don't think he's ever – he's not championship material. He's a mid-card funny guy who's going to, like, make people laugh. That's that's how I feel. It just felt like, it felt like manic booking to me big time. No, no. It totally was. I'm not, I'm not saying it wasn't. And that's what Meltzer was talking about today, that they're, like, panicking. They're panicking because of The Undertaker, like, going to uh, StarCast, which is, like, an AEW kind of event. Like, Vince is losing his shit. And I'll, I'll say this, too. Have you noticed that – Right now, there's two WrestleMania matches that we've heard on on the rumor mill, or not in the rumor mill, but like they're happening. It's the it's triple threat match, which we're thinking is going to happen with the women's right and Rollins versus uh, uh, Brock. Brock. Yep. What else do we have? I cannot recall not hearing more matches at this time. You know, six seven weeks out from Mania, where oh th- this match is on the card, like. John Cena is going against this guy. I have no idea. I have not heard any rumor about yep. John Cena going against anyone. I don't know who uh, Daniel Bryan's going against. They talked. They I guess they talk about him having like some new opponent coming in. Like it could be Bray Wyatt. Maybe I'm just like okay, Bray Wyatt. I guess he's only been gone yeah, for like seven months. But like there's that shows you how much they are. They have no clue what they're doing right now. I think I think they are very frazzled because of this AEW thing. I think they're frazzled with people wanting to leave because this, this is their worst nightmare because everyone, the product has not been good for like the last, like they have their glimpse of, of it, it, you know, they have their moments where you have like CM Punk moments or you have to where we're excited about like, you know, Ambrose turning heel and like, oh, look at all the heat he got for turning heel on Rollins with the, with the leukemia angle and all that sort of shit. Like you get these hot moments here and there and they don't capitalize on it. And I think when us as fans look at it and go, this sucks. I think the guys in the locker room view it as sucking as well. And with AEW coming out and you got a vibrant, like you got guys like the young bucks and Cody Rhodes. And I'm not, I'm not like independent guy over here, but those guys seem vibrant. They got money. And who would you rather work with? Like young guys who are charismatic 
and are making mo- and made money in Japan and are like are like the indie darlings right now, or do you want to go with Vince, who's like seventy five years old and he's just doesn't everyone that leaves that company just is like this guy's an idiot and trashes him and like yeah he's senile he's old, and I think that is it's going into play where. You know, he is not decisive right now with what he wants to do. Like, this was a panic move to bring all these guys up on Monday. Like, you're right. It was a panic move. And I think they're just – they don't know what to do because they are they got this TV deal coming with SmackDown where they're going to get $200 million from them. And the ratings are shitty. And it's going to Friday night where Friday night is a, is a night where TV shows normally die. And then you got AEW coming through. Like, I think they're panicking and they don't know what to do right now. All right, next time we get together and talk WWE, we'll spend more time focusing on what, well, what we think is going to be the main event between Charlotte, Ronda Rousey, and Becky Lynch. We'll also discuss uh, Seth Rollins and Brock Lesnar, where that's heading. We'll get in more in-depth with that next time. But one last thing, then we do got to get out of here. It was announced Monday that DX is going to be going into the WWE Hall of Fame. What are your thoughts on that? And who do you think should be the one to induct them? Um, they deserve to be in. I mean, they're they're what the second? I think they're like the second faction because the four horsemen got in first, yep. and I think they're like the second faction. So yeah, they deserve to get in. I mean, they're a top five faction of all time. You know, um, I think two two people, two entities come to mind. I would say the maybe Mike Tyson because Mike Tyson was technically a a member of DX. So you could make it funny, or I could see the NWO putting them in because without the NWO. There would not have been a DX, I don't think. Okay, that's good. All right, last item of business here. Hit us off with your weekly finisher. I know we're circling back to the Buffalo Sabres for this, so what do you got? Um, I just wanted to say that I hate fighting in the NHL. Uh, as you guys all probably saw, Kyle Posa got knocked out in a fight, and this is a guy who's had concussion issues. Tim Graham wrote about it, very moving, you know, scary piece about what he went through. And the poor guy is getting into a fight and he gets knocked out. And I'm over fighting in the NHL. It's stupid. It's dumb. There is n- This is not the 80s and 90s. And if you're some freaking punched out meathead who is like, I love fighting. And I think about when Rob Ray fought back in the 80s and 90s and, and you know, clearing the crease and just being that meathead fucking person that I can't stand. Get bent. Okay. All these sports are stop are doing everything in their power to curve away head injuries. Okay. You know, the, the NFL's doing it. The NHL's kind of doing it with like hits to the head. And yet we still have hockey. We still have hockey fights, which I'm not a doctor, but I'm going to assume that getting punched in the face isn't good for your head. So why do we even have this anymore? Get rid of it. The best analogy I could think of, and I get it, fighting was fun. There was a part of me at one time that did like fighting as a kid, but it's a lot like, and we always put in wrestling into this. It's a lot like chair shots to the head. Yeah, I like chair shots to the head back in the ECW days, back in the WWF days, WCW, whatever. Like, those were cool. I dug it. It was fun. But you know what? It wasn't worth it. And you know what? They got rid of that. And you know what? It's worth it without those because there's other things you can like about wrestling. There's other things you can like about hockey without having to see a player get punched out, get a concussion now, and may have his career ending. So get rid of fighting. I don't give a shit. It does nothing for the NHL. Fighting does nothing, and I'd rather have fighting eliminated than have to see someone like Kyle Oposo fight so he can fight for his uh, for him having like being able to sleep at night because he has concussion issues.
right, that is going to do it for this episode. Big thank you once again, NFL insider Adam Kaplan. Love talking to Adam Kaplan. One of the best and most respected NFL insiders in the business. Big honor to have him on this podcast twice now. So thanks a lot, Adam. I appreciate you. Thanks as well to my buddy Joe. Another installment of the Running with Joe. Pretty spicy conversation today regarding the Buffalo Sabres. I mean, what are you going to do? You going to be nice about it? There's nothing to be nice about when it comes to the Sabres. So, yeah, spicy talk. I like that. I like it. So, thanks again, Joe. Guys, if you haven't done so already, I invite you to subscribe to this podcast. It's quick. It's easy. It's completely free. When you subscribe, new episodes automatically get sent directly to your phone or to your computer. And the benefit of being a subscriber is that when you do, it gets sent within minutes after the release. There's your benefit. You get the episode before anyone else does. I usually have a new show every Tuesday and Friday. If you have an iPhone or an iPad, just simply pull it out, open up that purple Apple Podcast app, type in Moranalytics Podcast under search, hit the subscribe button, bam, literally, that's it. That's all you got to do. Don't forget to rate and review. Again, like I said at the top, that really helps tremendously. If iPhones or iPads just aren't your thing, or if you prefer to get your podcast elsewhere, you can also hit us up on Google Podcasts, iHeartRadio, Stitcher, Spotify, pretty much anywhere future award-winning podcasts are found. Don't forget to follow me on Twitter for updates, news, takes, The Office, The Countdown. It's almost done. You can find it there. Follow me on Twitter at Pat Moran Tweets. Have a nice, safe weekend. Relax. Have fun. Talk to you guys again next Tuesday. Two big shows coming next week. I'll catch you on the flippity flip. Bye.